Welcome to the Homeschooling Workshop Cassette Tape Series. This is tape number three, entitled, Ten Steps to Beginning Your Homeschool Right. Our instructor is Mr. Greg Harris, author of The Christian Homeschool and director of Christian Life Workshops. If you have further questions regarding Christian homeschooling, please write to us at Christian Life Workshops, 180 Southeast Kane Road, Gresham, Oregon, 97080. We will be glad to send you a resource packet of information to help you teach your children successfully at home. The packet is free for the asking, but if you can do so, please include $1 to cover our postage and handling. In this third session, Greg will present a practical step-by-step -step plan for setting up your homeschool program on the best foundation, biblically, academically, and legally. And now here's Greg with 10 steps to beginning your homeschool right. The first step, perhaps the one that will contribute the great, greatest to your following through with your decision to homeschool, thank you, will be joining your local support group. Your state and local homeschool support groups provide many services. They are probably, at the very least, providing a newsletter. Now, how often the newsletter comes out is determined not only by how often they intended to get it out, but by how often they are able to get it out. It also is affected by what crises are going on in your state. And uh, so there are times when you get very few, and then suddenly you'll get a burst of three or four within a short period of time. If there's news, that's what usually controls the publishing of the newsletter. There will be meetings. The meetings are sometimes things that uh, respond to special interests, and other times they're general meetings just for fellowship purposes. I know in the support group that we have been a part of, uh, we have things like monthly skating parties. You know, how, where do you put that? It's mostly fellowship. The kids are skating. The moms are eating hot dogs from the night before that didn't sell at the skating rink. This is, by the way, during regular school hours. And uh, while everyone else is studying, our kids are, are skating during that time, having phys ed. Field trips can be organized by your support groups. Uh, I encourage these to be small in most cases, unless it's something like the symphony or, or some major event that doesn't really, uh, is not really affected by the large crowd. If you're dealing with going to a museum, I think you're better off to go with one or two families, or even to just go by yourselves as, as a family alone. Because there's a tendency for us to let the children get up ahead and let the the moms and the dads all kind of fall behind the herd like cowboys, you know, fellowshipping back here while the herd just kind of meanders through the museum. And that's not very educational, is it? Uh, really, it's best to, to take these field trips, make them small, but they can be suggested, organized, arrangements can be made through your support group. Seminars such as the homeschooling workshop and others are coordinated by these groups. And then finally, in many states now, there are annual conventions of homeschooling families in which you'll have all kinds of uh, opportunity to put things on display that you've been doing at home. Here special speakers often brought in from out of state, a lot of local uh, and uh, talent that's indigenous to your state. That's what these groups do. The 
sooner you join, the more quickly you become oriented to the homeschooling community and the lifestyle. And I hope that this will be a beginning for you this week, and as uh, you fellowship with one another here, but please don't let it just be a one-time experience. Join the support group. Out in the exhibit hall, the state group has a booth set up, and they are able to sign you up. They want to get your address so that they can send their newsletter to you, and they can make sure that you are kept aware of what is going on within this state. And there are several legislative concerns right now that I'm sure you will want to be kept abreast of. So please, that's your first thing to do today. Step number one, go out of that exhibit hall and join the state group. That means pay your fees, get on the mailing list, and maybe even pick up a few resources at their table as well. Step number two, you can't take care of this here today, but this is where you're going to be for a while. Read, read, read. There's a whole lot of reading that needs to be done. I would like to suggest that if you're just getting started in homeschooling, that you consider the book that I've written. Now, that's not boasting in the book so much as just saying you're going to need an intro book, and I happen to have written one, so why not? You will need to read some introductory types of material, and that's what this book is intended to be. It is uh, available at our book tables, of course, and we're able to, because I know the guy that wrote it, I'm able to mark it down to about $9 instead of the $13.95 that it is in the bookstores. But that's only here on site. You'll have to take care of that here on site because the bookstores don't like uh, people like me to come to town and sell books cheaper than they do. So please take care of that today if you want to get that extra savings. The second is the Homeschool Information Handbook, and I have a copy of that here. This is available through your state association, and it is a means of fundraising for them. Published by the Teaching Home Magazine, I've got an article in here concerning delight-directed study, uh, but they also have other materials. I think there's a, a section in there concerning my work on socialization as well. This is $5. It's a good handbook of information. have a lot of curriculum suppliers, addresses, resource guide, Mary Pride's reviews, and all these types of things, all in one very nice uh, magazine format. So please uh, consider that as well. And while you're picking that up, at the state group table, you're going to find the Teaching Home Magazine subscription. I'm not certain whether that's part of your membership or whether it's something that is in addition to your uh, membership fee for joining the group. But either way, you really ought to subscribe to the Teaching Home Magazine. It's an excellent publication, uh, been very well handled for the last four or five years now by the Welsh family out in... Portland, Oregon. Uh, we are not organizationally linked. Uh, my wife and uh, Sue Welsh are in the same food co-op, so maybe there is a conspiracy going on. We're, but the, the connection is more of mutual respect. Some people have made the mistake of thinking that I published the Teaching Home magazine. Believe me, I have trouble publishing my own magazine, uh, let alone trying to publish theirs. So be sure and read the Teaching Home magazine. Then, you're going to want some curriculum buyer's guides. And I've got a few here that I wanted to refer to. They're under here. The two major guides are the one by Mary Pride, The New Big Book of Home Learning, and it comes with a companion 
the next big book of home learning. <clears throat> a different color, completely different topics covered inside. These two books are kind of like the white pages and the yellow pages. They really go together. You're not covering the, to the total territory unless you own them both. Some will ask, well, which one do I really need? That's hard to say because one book deals with basics, reading, writing, and arithmetic. The other deals with, with the things that enrich the child, like art and music and so on. When do you begin art and music? Is that something you wait until after you've done the basics? Of course not. It's something that you may want to begin even before you start with reading, writing, and arithmetic. So I would suggest, you know, those of you who have preschoolers will especially be interested in this one. Those of you who have children who are ready to learn to read and write and count will especially be interested in this one. And so if your children are in need of both areas, then you may want to just pick up both of these. The books are very well done. They are not going to be real critical of material. Mary has a kind of coded way of gushing on things she really likes and then just being polite with things that she's not that wild about. Kathy, on the other hand, in her home educator's curriculum manual, is a little more pointed. She'll tell you what she likes, she'll tell you what she doesn't like about a particular material. She makes grade-by-grade grade recommendations for every subject. She also, and I like this especially about Kathy's work, now maybe it'd be helpful if I tell you who Kathy Duffy is. She is the curriculum specialist for the Christian Home Education Association of California, which is the eighth largest economy in the world. I mean, they're the fastest growing homeschool nation in the world is California. And uh, it's just amazing how many homeschoolers they have there, how big their state conventions are, and so on. Kathy's been there now some seven or eight years. She's been doing this. And she not only deals with the weaknesses and the strengths of a particular curricula, but she also recommends it or steers you away from it in terms of what you believe to be your child's style of learning. If your child is, is going to be more auditory, she's going to steer you away from things like writing road to reading or, or learning with a hundred easy lessons. But if she feels that, that your child is real visual-oriented and very cognitive-oriented, then she's going to steer you toward writing road to reading and, and say, well, you probably wouldn't get the best use out of something like play and talk or sing, spell, read, write. See, one is real heavy through tapes and through records in the audio. The other is real strong in the visual. And if your child has one style or the other, it's going to affect what you're going to be able to succeed with. It also, you need to deal with your own style of teaching. You may be very visual oriented, but it's the child you're teaching. And so by understanding these different styles, and she orients you to those in the first few chapters, it helps you make your curricula selections a little bit more intelligently. So these are the curriculum guides that you should take a good close look at, and they will be valuable to you for years to come. This is not a one-shot thing. It'll deal with it for, for many, many grade levels. And these materials are just recently published, so they are very up-to-date. And finally, you'll want to subscribe to the Homeschool Legal Defense Association's court report, which will keep you abreast of not only the legal situation 
nationally, but also state by state, you'll be able to find out what's new in your state from the perspective of the laws and the legal actions taking place. Speaking of the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, step number three is join it. Now, Oklahoma has been what's considered a very safe state for some time now. It's not that way anymore. It looks as though many in the state of Oklahoma will be contacted, will be investigated in some point in the future concerning the legitimacy of your home school. That means, folks, you'd better join now because this is like insurance for, for your car. You can't get insurance for an accident you've already had. You have to be a member before you're contacted by a state official and brought into some kind of legal action. They cover all of your legal fees. They cover your expenses involved in defending yourself in court if necessary. But most of these things never get to court if the Homeschool Legal Defense Association is involved. It's the effect of a war chest. When, you're, when the people who are dealing with you know that you have resources backing you, that if they don't uh, work with you, if they're, if, not, if they're not willing to deal with you, that you're not afraid to go to court for lack of funds because you have the Homeschool Legal Defense Association behind you. And it has the effect of that they'll just leave you alone and go look for somebody who's not a member of this organization. Somebody that they believe can, they can wear down just by dragging them through court actions and making them spend their own money. By all of us joining this organization, we make it very hard for those who don't like homeschooling to find anyone to pick on. If they pick on one of us, they have picked on all of us, and all of us support one another in these legal actions. In the last year alone, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association has spent over $100,000 in states like Pennsylvania, in New York. We're talking about each, in each state. That's a lot of money, but you know we're winning. We're winning, and in some cases we're winning big. And the result is that other states are taking notice and changing their laws to bring them into line with what these other states have ended up doing at great expense. And so. Keep that in mind. Join this organization. The address is right here, Homeschool Legal Defense Association, P.O. Box 950, Great Falls, Virginia. The zip code is 22066. As Mike Ferris is wont to say, don't stay home without it. Mike Ferris is the founding president of the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. Some of you may be familiar with his work also for the Concerned Women of America. I'd like to add to the recommendation that you join the Homeschool Legal Defense Association that you also make it your goal to relate properly to the state. The way that that is done is, first of all, to establish your convictions on God's Word, not on the political climate that you live in. Things can change quickly. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are never safe as long as the legislature is in session. And so if you're making your decisions based upon uh, what the political climate is, then you're going to be pretty up and down. But if you build your convictions upon the Word of God, then there's continuity there. Pray for all those who are in authority. 
Um, I believe that's so important. We sometimes are much more willing to go and uh, speak against authorities before we've ever even taken the time to pray for them. And notice that says pray for them, not pray at them. You know, pray for the authorities that God has placed in your life. And there are about 16 specific authorities that are in your life based upon our system of government. When you count up your state representatives and congressmen and your federal representatives and your senators and the president, the vice president, and the Supreme Court justices, you have about 16 people there that you should be praying for on a regular basis. Make no contact with state officials until the state law requires it. That simply means don't try to create an issue where really none exists. If your children are below the mandatory school attendance law, then you're not violating any law, uh, real or, or perceived. And so simply do your thing. But when the time comes that the law requires you to take some action, then look at the action that's required and then decide whether or not you can comply with it with a clear conscience. Always be civil towards civil servants. And I say this not only uh, because you have a responsibility toward God and toward the authority that God has placed in your life, but also because these people have a way of getting promoted. No matter how impressed you are with their ability, they have a way of moving up the ladder anyway. And that means if you get on the bad side of what seems to be just a clerk today, he may be sitting behind a big desk in about a couple of years, and you're having to deal with somebody with real authority now, and they don't like you or your kind, because you snubbed them and were rude to them when they were just waiting on you at the counter somewhere. So please remember that. These people are potential friends. The Bible tells us to honor those who are over us. And, and that means, in my opinion, that you can learn to be civil, to smile, to be friendly. Don't argue with a bureaucrat. They may not even have the authority to change the decision. And if you dump on them, then they're just going to hold a grudge toward you. So please, remember that. Correspond with officials on nice stationery, if possible. Try to avoid writing things out on, on regular school notebook paper and sending it in. It doesn't look good. We're trying to, to be aware of our appearances as well as the content of what we're doing. Uh, you, you may not need a lot of stationery, but you should have some that you can use for these kinds of purposes. Do not ask permission to homeschool, but rather announce your intentions to homeschool. Remember when Daniel was, he had settled it in his own heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. And then he simply uh, worked with the authorities in Babylon to do the thing that he had already settled in his heart to do. He was not asking for permission with the attitude that if you say I can't do this, then I'll just forget it and I'll just, I'll just trust God that it's his will that I be defiled. No, that's not the way he decided to handle it, did he? Instead, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Then, with a, a kind attitude toward those in authority, he worked through the process of getting the freedom that he wanted, but he was not asking for permission to do God's will. It's an important point, and it may be very important legally someday if someone uh, ever brings you to account for what you're doing. Honor officials, even if you cannot apply, uh, comply with their 
wishes. That means if you're going to have to disobey the law, you can do it with a good attitude. Okay? If you're, if you're going to be breaking a law, now remember, according to our system of law, if a law is unconstitutional, it's only brought to the attention of the highest authorities when someone challenges it. So challenging a law and breaking a law are not exactly the same thing. But the way that a law is challenged is by someone saying, I believe this law violates a higher law. And so in order for me to keep the highest law, I have to seem to, to violate this lower law and then take it to court. But don't just break laws without the intention of following through and challenging those laws in court because then you do look pretty much like just a, just a criminal. Be aware that that law uh, is placed there and needs to be challenged. You can do all of us a great favor if you will take it to court if you believe it's a bad law. Appeal bad decisions to higher officials. Uh, don't argue with lower level officials, but rather get to somebody who's accountable to the electorate, who's accountable to somebody who has been elected, so that you can apply pressure, legitimate civil pressure, to get them to give you what you want. And finally, keep all correspondence in written form. Not because you don't trust anyone, but because you know that people move around. And someone may give you a very good decision and then they get promoted or demoted or somebody else gets elected and they clean house. And what record do you have that you had that working relationship if it was never put in writing? Be sure you get these things in writing. Not, not in an insulting way, but rather to help these people write their memoirs. Okay? Number four, select your curricula or curriculum. Marva Collins wrote in her book, Marva Collins' Way, anything works if the teacher works. That means that the quality of any homeschool depends more on the instructor than on the curricula. We tend to put all the glory and all the blame on the materials we choose rather than the way in which we use it. But I think it would be more appropriate to look at curricula as the cookbook of education. You're the cook. You're the one that makes it a meal. And you can even make a bad recipe a great meal if you are willing to adapt it. As, as uh, we'll see here, the recommendations that Mary Pride and Kathy Dovey give have different styles to them, but they're both dealing with the same kinds of question. Mary Pride writes in the New Big Book of Home Learning, if I had a hammer, I'd probably use it to knock nails into wood. If school bureaucrats had a hammer, they'd probably hold it by the wrong end, punch feebly at one or two nails, and then call it nailing disabled and throw it away. Even more likely, some educrat would announce a nailing crisis and call for a few billion bucks to buy hammers with heads on both ends. Now this is Mary's style, okay? Is learning really mysterious and difficult? Do we really need hordes of federally funded educational experts? Let's put a pin in this bubble and see how ridiculously simple learning can be once we understand a few simple facts. And so that's the way that Mary launches into giving you advice and counsel on what uh, materials are available.
Kathy Duffy's style is entirely different, but notice she contributes uh, very well to this subject. She says, when we combine the why and the how, we determine the what. That is, what curriculum methods and materials are appropriate choices for us. There will most likely be a tremendous number of choices at this point, and if you'll take a scroll through the exhibit hall, you'll see that she's right. There are many choices. The most important thing to remember, especially if we are just starting out, is that there is no perfect curriculum. We could actually use any curriculum at all and adapt it to suit our needs. It boils down to the question, how much adapting do we want to do? In this manual, we hope to give you information that will help you choose materials that will require the least adaptation. And so we can hear in what, what Kathy is writing an echo of what Martin McCollin said. Anything works if the teacher works. The question is, how much is the teacher wanting to work? You know, how much adapting do you want to do? And so by making your selections in terms of what you're wanting to do and uh, why you're wanting to do, how you're wanting to do it, these things will be the deciding factors. So, with that in view, I'd like to mention a few things that are available at the, at the Christian Life Workshop book tables. Now, these are supplemental materials. I try to deal with things that are going to support you in your teaching process without actually trying to offer you a particular curriculum for this or that uh, subject area. These are things that supplement rather than substitute for your standard curriculum. But notice in preschool and learning, we have a book by a woman named Ann Ward. I've got to reach down here and grab a stack here. In Ann Ward's book, Learning at Home, Preschool and Kindergarten, she saves the homeschool mom with preschoolers an awful lot of time and money by working out of the local public library. She has cataloged for 10 subject areas in preschool level everything that's available in the public libraries across the United States. Now you see she was working in the elementary schools in, the, in Portland as a specialist in this area. And so what she says is probably available in your local public library is probably there. And if it's not in your local branch, you can at least have it brought there from your larger city nearby if, you, if it's a branch system in your area. Now with this, it's a two-year program, preschool and kindergarten, all working out of one book, four days a week, an hour and about 15 minutes a day, broken up into modules throughout the day. And so she works from one holiday to the next, and so she's always got your preschooler preparing and thinking about the holiday that's coming up next. And she loves rubber stamps. If you look in the back, you find her catalog for rubber stamps there that uh, she will gladly sell to you through the mail as well. On the cover is the cutest kid I know, at the age of five at least, and that's my Joel. Uh, he was the model in the Gresham Public Library to, to uh, be for the cover of Ann Ward's book, A Christian Parent's Guide with Day-by-Day -day -day Lesson Plans Using the Library as a Resource. This is a 34.95 publication. 
It's $29 on site. We have an arrangement with Ann to do that. And uh, you can also order these through the mail. She also has a first grade curricula that she's publishing herself that takes the same format and takes it up a notch to the first grade. We're not publishing that volume, uh, but not because we didn't like it, but just because we just didn't have the resources to do it at this time. But we did have this, and we, we suggest if you have preschoolers, how many of you do have preschool children? Okay, we, I hope you'll at least take a look at that, because that is it's going to work off of the Writing Road to Reading as its phonics program as well. So keep that in mind. Next, for reading, if you have a child who has the desire to begin having, quote, school, like his older brothers and sisters, and yet he doesn't have the fine motor skills to begin something that requires a lot of printing or handwriting, then I really recommend this material. It's called Teach Your Child to Read in 100 Easy Lessons by Siegfried Engelman. My wife used this material with our Joel when Joel was two and a half. Now remember, every child is different. Not every child is ready or able to begin studying reading at an early age. But Joel was demanding it. He was going to read whether we helped him or not. And so we decided we needed something so we would be giving him some, some proper guidance in what he was trying to do. In about five minutes a day, over about an eight-month period, Sono broke these lessons up into thirds. And just before Joel's nap every day, she would give him one little module of his reading lesson, and he loved it. That was all he needed to be convinced that he too was homeschooling, just like his older brother. Well, now Joel, at the age of three and a half, was reading at a second grade level. He's now five, and he's reading at a third or fourth grade level, and it's all with these very simple lessons. He's just now beginning to print. He's been reading for two years. He's just now beginning to print and Sono's going to be using some of the other materials, such as the Writing Road to Reading, in taking him on in his phonics. But this was an excellent foundation. So I do suggest that you uh, look at this very closely. It is an entirely scripted lesson, as you can see from this uh, page. And everything that you say is actually printed Everything that you say out loud is printed in large red print. So that, now that doesn't mean you're the Lord, but it, uh, it does certainly help you keep your place when something happens that you might get distracted. So you might want to take a good close look at that material. Another thing on the list, going through this quickly, for math, Kathy Duffy has developed a thing called the Math Mouse Games, and I don't have a copy of those up here, but it's a box, it's at our tables. It's games to reinforce your child's math skill from first grade or kindergarten up through sixth grade. And they're a lot of fun, they're very simple, uh, they're the kind of thing that uh, really get your children using what they've been studying. And they're using it in a little bit of light competition with a family. We have found that games are very effective uh, in, in this type of thing. For instance, we have a, a game called Where in the World, which deals with memorizing
countries around the world and memorizing the capitals of those countries and, and a little bit of the information about them. And we can sit around the table and now the whole family, you know, knows more about uh, some of those Central American countries than I think some senators do. And so uh, we're, we're doing real well just with that game. I wish we'd send that game to some of the senators uh, so that they could learn about Central America as well. The science materials, backyard scientists, how many of you have ever heard or met uh, Jane Hoffman? Any of you? Okay, she is a character, and she wouldn't mind me saying that, because she knows she's a character. She tries. I think she stays awake at night trying to think of better ways to be a character. She's written two books that have done more to bring science to life to children. Than, I mean, these, these experiments are just great. They're simple. They're impressive. With two straws and a string and a little joy, uh, hands dishwashing liquid and uh, if you really want to make them big if you can find a few drops of glycerin not nitroglycerin just glycerin which is available in any any drugstore you can make bubbles big enough your children can step inside them and float away I mean they are huge bubbles with just string and straws she also has uh, did you know that the reason that you can hear a foghorn at so loud is because sound actually travels better through water than it does through air. And therefore, if you were beside a lake and you wanted to really get someone's attention, take two rocks and clap them together under the water and the whole lake reverberates with the sound. People on the other side of the lake will be able to hear it as you click your rocks underwater. That it's this type of thing that children just go, wow, that's neat. And then she explains the science behind it and how it works. So these two books, they, one is called The Original Backyard Scientist. That was published by one publisher. Now she started a new series, and this is series one of The Backyard Scientist. It has 25 experience, experiments in it, and this is for ages 4 through 12 years old. And uh, I don't think you can go wrong. These, now remember, when things are published like this, you look at it and you say, well, that's a pretty thin book, and it's, it's 850. But you'll get more use out of this than a thick book that has a lot of material that you never use. Okay, that's, I think that's the way you should look at it. Pound for pound, there's more in here than there is in a lot of science books that you'll pick up for children. Okay, and for, for physical education, this has been a real struggle for a lot of parents trying to figure out what to use for physical education. So my wife, who has a background in phys ed and dance, she was a dance instructor for many years and a professional ballet dancer that was ballet, not belly, ballet dancer for many years. And so uh, she has developed a program called Fun Physical Education for the Home. And that's available through CLW, but it's just gone to press. And it's going to be available next week. We've got it all done, and the tapes are done, and the, the packets are done. So if you'd like that, that's only, though, up to age 10. She's dealing with a priest, pre ballet, pre-gymnastics, pre-teen sports phys ed program for the home that also supports your other educational goals. So she teaches you how to use phys ed in conjunction with reading and math and things like that. So your children are using all the various muscles in some real fun and creative ways. 
This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.